0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. This weekend we're continuing our series in the Book of Romans. And- Uh, This is a series that if you miss a part, you really do need to go back and get caught up because it builds and it is leading to something. And so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Romans together. And the book of Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome was deeply divided uh, on ethnic lines between the the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers. Uh, And Paul was trying to unite them and their worship styles, their preferences were different. And uh, Paul was trying to bring this divided church together. So he's writing this letter to them, trying to, almost like an attorney would lay out an argument and trying to help the Jewish believers see the point of view of the Gentile believers and try to reconcile this group together under one purpose and cause. And so that's why he writes the letter. And there's a major theme in the book of Romans uh, that we've kind of boiled down to this idea that God judges sin, but he manifests mercy through Jesus. So God has to judge sin because he's righteous and he is holy. Because he's holy, he has to judge sin, but because he's merciful and loving and benevolent, he has provided a way for us to escape his wrath because the wrath that was uh, determined to land on us because of our sinfulness, Jesus received it. So Jesus was how God manifests mercy to us because he's benevolent and loving and merciful. So God judges sin, but he manifests mercy through Jesus. This is what Paul keeps coming back to over and over and over again. And why this is important is because Paul keeps reminding these believers, hey, there's a lot that divides you, but here's what unites us. We all need a savior. Because this is what he talks about in, in the first chapter. Where we see him make the statement basically that sin dominates all of us. We all are sinners. And let me say this too. Um, we don't sin because we make a mistake. We sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we're sinners, that's our nature. And what Christ wants to do is transform our nature so that what is is produced from our life is not sin anymore. See, we try to change the behavior. It's like taking an aspirin when we have a headache. All it does is mask the symptoms. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. If you have a brain tumor and you just keep taking Tylenol, all it's gonna do is keep the. The pain at bay, it doesn't resolve the issue. You've got a tumor, right? But, and this is what sin is. Sin is a tumor that's growing in us. It's producing something out of us. And what Jesus does, he says, no, I wanna get rid of the problem. I don't wanna just mask the problem. Uh, See, we're good at mowing the weeds. Uh, If you've got a yard like mine, sometimes you just mow the weeds and it keeps the weeds low. Does that make sense? You just have to mow the weeds about every three days and still keeps your yard looking okay. But you got weeds, you don't get rid of the problem. You just keep mowing the weeds over and over and over. And then what Jesus wants to do is eradicate the issue in our lives. So we see in chapter one that that sin dominates all of us. But in chapter two, being moral doesn't save us. Fulfilling the law, doing what the law says can't save us. It's incapable of saving us. Then we see in chapter three that that God wants to rescue us through Jesus. Then we get to chapter four, we talked about it last week. Chapter four, uh, we talked about the faith of Abraham. And I love this because we kind of landed on this idea idea that, that Abraham believed the God, that God could bring dead things back to life and create new things from nothing. That's what he believed. He had faith in God. and That's kind of where we landed the plane last week. One of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks as well is the righteousness of God. And we'll touch on this briefly today, but our working definition for righteousness for this series is this, that God always does what is right or good, and he is faithful to keep his promises. And if we can can anchor this in our hearts, it's gonna help us so much. It's gonna help us weather some storms. It's gonna help us get through some difficult seasons. If we can remind ourselves, God always does what is right or good, and he is faithful to keep his promises we are gonna be ahead of the curve in so many ways if we can just remember this idea. Last week, we also talked about the, this idea that Paul says, he says, we rejoice in, our, in the hope we have, this hope of Christ, but he says, we also rejoice in our suffering because our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Hope will not disappoint us is what he says. So what does it look like when we suffer? What does it look like when we, Endure. What does it look like when we trust the goodness of God, even when we don't know if we can? So that's kind of where we ended last week. Let me jump in this week. We'll start in verse six of Romans chapter five. This is what it says. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I love how Paul says us sinners. He doesn't say you sinners. He says us. He includes himself. Now, most people, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, in the world we live in, uh, we're conditioned as parents to take care of our kids, to protect our kids. And so if I asked you, um, would you be willing to die for your child? You might say yes, but it might depend on the day. Some days you're more willing than others, right? Let's be honest. There's some days the mom's like, I'm not so sure. Um, I might wanna kill my kid today, actually. I'm like, strangle my teenager, whatever it might be. But, But for the most part, we would say as parents, yes, I would lay down my life for my child. I love my child so much. I value my, my children so much that I would lay down my life for my kids. That's awesome. I started with kids, because if I would have started with a spouse, it might not have felt the same way. Would you die for your spouse? And some spouses would be like, yes. I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's a little tougher, but you probably, hopefully you would still say yes. I would lay down my life for my spouse. I'm so grateful for Kim. She's a wonderful mom. She's a wonderful pastor. She's a wonderful wife. I would willingly, gladly lay down my life if that's what I needed to do for my wife. I would do that because I love her. Let's, let's broaden the circle a little bit. What if I said, hey, here's a person, and, and by the way, um, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I just wanna remind you, um, the reason we have Memorial Day on Monday is not so you can have the day off from work and cook out and eat copious amounts of hot dogs. That is not the point of Memorial Day. The point of Memorial Day is for us to remember that there are men and women who have laid down their lives in, in the, for the cause of our country so that we could experience freedom. And specifically for us today, the freedom to worship God however we want to. Because as I was talking to Dr. Raman last night, they don't have that freedom in India. They're persecuted for their faith in Christ. They're persecuted for sharing their faith. They're persecuted for the way they worship. And I'm so grateful that we have the freedom we have. And it's because people have willingly laid down their lives for us. They've willingly laid down their life for a cause. And so if I said to you, hey, okay, we get that you would lay down your life for your family. What about somebody who maybe was a war hero Someone who had saved a bunch of people in a combat situation, they had risked their own lives, they had saved others, would you lay down your life for them? Maybe. I mean, they're really good, so maybe, I I don't know. What about a doctor or a medical professional who's made great strides, maybe they invented a cure to an incurable disease and millions of people have been saved, would you lay down your life for them? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. It gets even harder when we broaden the circle more. What if I said, Hey, here's a convicted murderer. He's murdered multiple people, cold blood. There was no justification. It's just evil. I would bet that very few of us would be willing to die for such a person. Myself included, by the way. Why? Because we would look at that person and we would say, I, We would judge that our lives are more valuable than their life. And we would say, They're not worth my sacrifice. And this is the beauty of Christ. What we see here is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what that means is on our very worst day, Christ died for us. Not on your best day. Not when you were firing on all cylinders and you were the perfect husband and dad and boss and like you, were do, you did your prayer time at 5 a.m. and then you went and worked out and you were just, you loved Jesus all day. You had a perfect day. You were throwing a no hitter, right? It was perfect it's not that day that Christ died for you. Because what Paul makes clear is that righteousness in our flesh is worthless. Paul says our righteousness is filthy rags, it's trash, it's rubbish compared to the righteousness of God. So on our best days, it still doesn't measure up. So Paul's not talking about our best day. He says, when, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait for you to get your junk together and figure your life out. He didn't wait for you to, to act perfectly. On your worst day, the day you're most ashamed of. The day you hope no one ever finds out about. The day you live with the most regret and shame. That's the day that Christ looked at you and said, they're worth my sacrifice. I will willingly trade my life for them because they're worth it. When Christ looked at you and he saw you on your worst day, he deemed you worth it. That's the trade-off Christ has made for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're born sinners. We don't start sinning you know, because we just had a bad day. That's our nature, as I said earlier. That's who we are. But Christ came to change our nature, to change our identity, to transform who we are. It goes on to say in verse nine, and since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still, sent, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His son. So now we can, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. What in the world? Like, this doesn't even make sense. Paul declares that because of what Christ has done, now we're friends with God. And this, this is churchy. And if you hear this in church, it's easy to go, yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I get it. Friends with God. Yep, we're good. Move on, we got this. I want you to get a hold of this for a second. If you looked at my cell phone and you scrolled through some of my contacts, you would find some people in there that, that could be considered famous. Like they're not famous, famous, but like some well-known Notable people. And you might be impressed by that. You might be like, oh my gosh, you could call this person whenever you want. Like, that's right, I can't. I don't know if I answer. <laughs> I might text them. They may never text me back, but yeah, I got their number on my cell phone. And you might be impressed by that because you'd say, Mel, you're friends with. Well, maybe. If you met a celebrity and you guys became friends, if you just ran into like Ben Roethlisberger somewhere and he's like, man, I'd love to hang out with you. Can I get your number? We can talk sometime. You would tell everybody you knew and your friends would be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Now tell me about it. What happened? Tell me about the interaction. You have to give every detail of it. And, and Paul says, we get to be friends with God. And we're like, Cool. The God of the universe, the God who spoke creation into existence wants to be friends with you. All right. We don't tell anyone about it. We don't share that with anybody. Nobody is is dying to hear the details and maybe it's because we don't have any energy or enthusiasm about the fact that we're friends with God. Okay, whatever. We get to be friends with God. Now here's, here's the amazing part. God wants to be friends with you. He wants to be friends with you and I. And the most amazing part is, it cost him his son to facilitate that. He said, I want to be friends with you so badly, I'm willing to let my son lay down his life so that we can be reconciled in relationship together. That's the, that's the distance God would go to. That's the price he would pay to know you, to be in relationship with you, to be in relationship with me. And yet, we treat it so flippantly. Oh yeah, I go to church. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. The fact is God, the God of the universe wants to be your friend. He wants to know you. See, some of the people I have in my in my phone, I'm not friends with them, I'm just... I could call them if I needed to, but I'm not friends with them. They don't really care about the details of my life. We're not texting before we go to bed at night like, hope you have a great day tomorrow, buddy. You too, buddy. That's not our relationship, right? That would might be weird if it was. But God is interested in your life. He he leans in when you start telling him about your day. He, He can't get enough of it because he loves you. Not only do you get to be his friend, he wants to be your friend too. Let me go on, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. So let me me break this down a little bit. So before the law was given, the law was given to Moses. It was the the 10 commandments. And we see that there were more laws than that. There were over 600 laws, uh, according to Jewish ritual and tradition. And before the law was given, there was no law. So if you're driving down the road and there are no speed limit signs and your GPS isn't telling you what the speed limit is, you've got to assume, like, I don't know what the speed limit is, I'm just gonna drive, right? And if a police officer pulled you over and they pulled you over for speeding, you could say there was no law posted, but you'd still be held responsible. You would still be responsible for that. Um, what we see in scripture is this idea of progressive revelation. So Adam didn't have the revelation of God that Abraham did in a lot of ways. Now Adam was face to face with God. He was intimate with God differently, but the law wasn't given to Adam. So there were things about God's nature he may not have known the way we do today. Abraham knew things about God that, that maybe Adam didn't or contemporaries of Adam wouldn't. We see Moses. Moses knew God in ways that Abraham didn't. The law was given to Moses. Uh, so he had, there was progressive revelation of who God is, of his character, of his nature. And today we have seen even more because we have the word of God. Uh, there is a greater revelation to us today than we've ever had. So, so we can know God more intimately. So before the law was given, there was sin, we see Adam sinned um, when Adam rebelled against God, God gave, gave him instruction. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of this tree, right? And Adam was like, we got it. We won't do it. We're good, we promise. And God was like, all right, well, we'll see you later. And God left and they're like, you know what sounds good? That fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they promptly ate of the fruit and they rebelled against God. They, they sinned against God and they knew they did because they hid. They knew they were disobedient. The word of God tells us that from the beginning of time, the the law of God was written on our hearts. We we know right from wrong. We might not know that it's a law, that we're breaking the law. So what, what he's saying here is the law wasn't yet given. So there wasn't an objective standard for people to disobey. So as a result, it wasn't counted against them. The the individual sin wasn't counted against them. In fact, if you look at the King James, which I don't refer to the King James very often, but in the King James Version, Romans 5.13, it says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there was no law. So this word imputed, I love this word. Uh, and, And it just means to reckon, to set one's account, so it wasn't credited against someone. It wasn't puted. God didn't say, you did this, and you did this, and you did this. There was collective sin that was counted against us. But what we see is um, it, it was different because the law hadn't given, been given yet. So let me back up. One of the questions I get from time to time is, Mel, Pastor Mel, what happens to people who, who died before, before the, Jesus? And that's a great question. And... Um, And there's not, nobody knows for sure, it's not said explicitly exactly how this lays out, but what I believe is that um, before Christ, people would come to faith in God. Uh, we see Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. And, and this hasn't changed from the beginning of time to now. Uh, our salvation rests on our faith in who God is, in his righteousness, that he is good, that he, what he does is right and good, and that he is, he is faithful to keep his promises. And we see Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. We see Adam, he believed God. So when he was reconciled to God after uh, the punishment was doled out, he, he believed God. They were reconciled. Uh, so faith in God is always the key to to relationship okay so pre-Jesus there were people who had faith in God they had encounters with God and they put their faith in him they put their trust in him um but Jesus hadn't yet laid down his life so the immediate question is was that necessary and the answer is yes it is um because Jesus, there's an old hymn of the church. Does anybody remember the song, Jesus Paid It All? I love that song, Jesus Paid It All. There was a guy in the first service sung with me. I'm not gonna make you guys sing with me, but it says, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. So there was a debt we owed because of sin we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid the price for that. And you go, well, that's great, but that still doesn't explain what happened. Well, let me ask you a question. When I was a kid, there was something, um, I grew up in Oklahoma and there was a store locally and it's not around anymore, it was called Y. It was like a small Walmart is what it was. Um, and then Walmart came to town and Walmart had this as well. Some of the stores had something called Layaway. Does anybody remember Layaway? Some stores do it again today, they brought it back. Uh, but Layaway was this idea that I could go to a store, and I could pick out what I wanted and I could say, I don't have any money, I'm broke, but I like this stuff. Would you hang on to it for me until I have the money for it? Does that make sense? Can you just hang on to this? And I promise I'll give you the money for it. And the, yep, you can do that. You would lay it away. And then when you had the money for it, you would come and purchase it. You would be able to receive it at that time. Now, um, That was a great system and some stores are doing it today because of the financial climate and where people are at financially a lot of times. So that's still around today, but think about it this way. This is a crude illustration. This is kind of what Jesus did. See, people would have faith in God and they would go, okay, God, I believe in you. I trust you. And their relationship, their faith was kind of put on layaway because the price hadn't been paid for reconciliation. So, Jesus came, he paid the price. And what Jesus did is he paid the price once and for all for all of our salvation, for all the sins of humanity from the beginning of time till the end of time. He paid the once and for all price. This is what Jesus did for us. And again, this is progressive revelation. We've gotten over the years that is not... wanna be careful because we have people from time to time, they're like, hey, God told me this. And it's like, God didn't tell you that because that's contrary to scripture. So that is not progressive revelation. That's just you feeling that. Like that's you eating a bad meal and coming up with something weird, right? So progressive revelation, it always ties back to the character and nature of God, always ties back to the authentic, authenticity of scripture. We can filter it through that. And so this is what we see. And this is what Adam is taught. I mean, what, Uh, I'm sorry, Paul is talking about when he talks about this here. So let me go back, jump back into verse 14. Verse 14 of Romans says this, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. So he lays this out from the time of Adam To the time the law was given, everyone still died. This is the common denominator among humanity. Whether you are right with God or not, whether you had faith with God or not, you still died because it's a consequence of sin. And it says, "Even even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. He's saying, Adam is a Christ type. He's a Christ figure because of what he's done. He's laying the groundwork for what we're about to get into. Uh, It says in verse 15, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. I love how he says that. Through this other man, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard of him, right? Like, I just love the way he lays that out. Verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is a very different Uh, is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. See, physical death is not a choice. We don't get to decide if we're gonna die or not. This is a consequence of sin that impacts all of us. But the beautiful thing is the gift of God, the grace of God through Jesus Christ is available to all of us as well. See, if the problem is monumental, the, the the answers the solution to that problem has to be even bigger and that's what we see in this instance is that God's solution to the sin problem is bigger than the sin problem goes on to say this in verse 17 for the sin of this one man Adam caused death to rule over many but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man Jesus Christ Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. What a a wonderful encouragement this is. He goes on to say this in verse 19, I love this verse. And we'll swing back to this in just a few minutes. Because of one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Because one person disobeyed, many became sinners but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. It goes on to say in verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. And I just love that. I think, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo right here that says that, right? Just, it's such an encouragement. The law shows us how sinful we are. It's kind of a depressing statement until you read the context. It says, but... As people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Uh, the King James Version says where, grace, uh, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And I talk to people all the time, and maybe you're one of these people who say, Mel, this is a great church. It's really, I man, I had a good experience, but I can't be a part of it. Well, how come? Oh, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You, you, man, I, oof. I'm surprised the building didn't fall down when I walked in. I'm surprised they get struck by lightning when I walked in. You know, I hear statements like that. And what they're saying essentially is, I've sinned too much, I've gone too far. God couldn't love me. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Because basically what they're saying is, I have accumulated sin in my life. I have just piled it up. And I've got too much. But what this passage says, what what Paul is telling the Romans is where sin abounds, where you've got piles of sin, grace does much more abound. God's grace is bigger than that. So now, no matter how much sin we accumulate, God's grace is bigger than that. No matter what we have done, God in his riches of, of grace and mercy overcomes what we've done. There is no distance we can run that we can outrun the grace of God. There's no act so heinous that God could not forgive us and love us. And that's the beauty of what Christ has done. No matter how much we sin, God's grace is bigger. God loves us. God is for us. He's rooting for us to win. Verse 21 says, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the consequence of Adam's sin was that all of humanity was impacted. All of humanity faces death. And one of the things that that Paul's trying to bring to their attention is... Um, He's saying, even though Gentiles aren't descended from Abraham, they still are descended from Adam. So descendants of Abraham and Gentiles have a common ancestor, and it's Adam. And Adam's actions had impact and consequences for both groups. See, again, he's trying to unite the church together. There's a unifying problem, and the problem is sin. So this problem has brought us together but that's not where it ends. He goes on to say that the consequence of, of Jesus's actions have ramifications for all of us as well. And that's what unites us together, is that Jesus laid down his life for all humanity. I've got a friend, um, some of you might be familiar with him, he's been with us a few times for leadership night, done some things with our staff, but uh, his name's Dr. John Stanko, and he was on staff at Allegheny Center Alliance Church for years, He's one of their teaching pastors and leaders, and now he travels all over the world doing leadership development, and he's, he's a wonderful man. I'm so grateful for him. Uh, but he wrote a series of commentaries on the New Testament, and he gave us a copy for our residency program, and uh, I was thumbing through the, the copy on the book of Romans, and he was talking about grace, and, um, and this is what he said I thought was interesting. Uh, he said this, you haven't preached grace sufficiently until someone accuses you of preaching it too much or taking it too far. I will say, I've been accused of preaching grace too much. Um, I've had people say that we are prosperity gospel because we talk about grace so much and we talk about good things. And it's like, well, that's part of it, right? Like we should. Um, I've been accused of of, of watering down the gospel and not preaching enough about sin. And if you stick around through the whole book of Romans, you are gonna get your fill of me talking about sin. I can assure you of that. Um, but I've been accused of that. And I used to get a little defensive about it, but I realized like Paul was accused of that as well. We'll get into that in a second. And, and what Dr. Stanko's trying to say is, if we are not talking about grace so much that people think we're overdoing it, we're not giving it its, its just It's just service. We're not giving it credit because it's so easy to swing the pendulum one way or the other where we talk about all grace and we talk about all sin. But if we understand how big the sin problem is in our lives and we can get a hold of how big God's grace is, it will transform us. It'll change us. And this is what Paul is trying to help the believers in Romans understand. He's trying to help them wrap their brains around this. So we get into chapter six now, and I'm, just for the record, I'm not preaching all of chapter six right now, so you can take a deep breath. I'm gonna start in verse one, but Paul is transitioning now, and he's trying to tie these ideas together. And he said, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And so he's, he's a- asking this question rhetorically, and it was probably, there's a lot of scholars who believe he was asked this question, that he was pushed on grace, that, that probably Jewish believers were saying, hey, you're de-emphasizing the law too much. You're talking about grace too much. Um, and if you're talking about grace, then is the law necessary? And so Paul is trying to answer some of these questions and push back on this. So this makes me feel better. If Paul was being criticized for preaching, I don't mind being criticized once in a while. Um, and so he, he, he says, does this give us license to sin, basically? And this is the unhealthy view of grace. The unhealthy view of grace says, I can do whatever I want and God's gotta forgive me. I can live however I want and I'll just go to confession. I can, I can do whatever I want. And as long as I'm in church on Sunday, I'll be fine. That, that, is, not, that is not authentic walk with Jesus Christ at all. Um, that is presuming on the grace of God and you're in dangerous territory when we do that. So Paul says, that's not what we do. In fact, what he says is, of course not. We have died to sin And he gets into this idea that he he introduces that we die to sin. And he says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So this is something that Paul talks a lot about in his writings. He talks a lot about unity with Christ. He talks about being one with Christ in his suffering, death, burial, and resurrection over and over and over in his writings. Specifically, we see it in the book of Galatians, in the book of Colossians, the book of 1 Corinthians. We see him highlight these ideas that we're unified with Christ in these things. And specifically, when we talk about baptism, uh, you may have been raised in a tradition where you weren't baptized by immersion. That's what we do here at Summit. And if you've never been to one of our baptism services, they're awesome. Um, but, but we believe in, in baptism by full immersion. So you will literally be dunked. You will go under the water. And this is, this is in keeping with uh, first century church. So in the first century church, they baptized in full immersion. And for the first century church, they, they use this symbolically to say, we are one with Christ. And so as we're baptized, as we go under the water, It's like being buried We die and are buried under the ground, under the water And then we were raised up out of the water We're raised up to new life with Christ This is symbolic of our unity with Christ And this is what he's talking about That we are dead in our trespasses We're dead in the flesh The flesh is gone And then we're alive in the spirit Then he says this in verse 5 Since we've been united with him in his death We will also be raised to life as he was We know that our old sinful selves, uh, yes, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Listen to that. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We're dead to the power of sin. Uh, I am a child of uh, the 90s. I was in high school in the 90s. And one of my favorite shows that was on, it's still on reruns, uh, you know, today uh, is Seinfeld. Did anybody watch Seinfeld? Some of you are sinners like I am. So so Seinfeld. Um, There's this episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza, he hated his job, hated his job. And he, changed jobs all the time. He hated his job. And finally, one day he had had enough. He went in and he did what, he, he did what, all of us dream about doing with a boss that we hate. You, he went in and he just let him have it. Double barrel, just rah, 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 and he just told him everything he believed, everything he thought. And he stormed out, walked away. And it was like, um, it was symbolically, it was like, you ever seen the action movie where the hero's like walking away in slow motion and there's an explosion behind him? Like, I think if you have a bad job, you've had dreams like that, you know, where you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna leave that way. Um, and this is how George Costanza left his job. And so he gets home that day and he's having this conversation. And they start talking with his friends and he realizes, he says, I think I made a horrible mistake. And then they said, well, what are you gonna do? And he said, well, what if I just go back? Said, what do you mean? He said, what if I just go back and pretend like it didn't happen? He said, well, you just quit. And he said, yeah, I know, but, but we'll see. So the next day he just goes back to his job. And they're like, Costanza, what are you doing here? And he was like, what? You quit yesterday. He said, oh, that, no, no, I was just kidding. I was just joking. And he tried to slide back into it after he just said, no, I'm out of here, right? this is what we do with sin so many times. We, we have moments like these in a service and somebody maybe will challenge us or inspire us and we'll go, yeah, sin is dead to me. Because that's what you're doing in that moment. He, when you quit a job, you're going, you, I am dead to you and you are dead to me, right? There's an old country song, take this job and shove it. You remember that one? Bet you didn't expect to hear that one in church this morning. That's what the moment you have where you go, I'm never coming back. I am gone. But then what happens is, we go, man, I kind of miss that. Well, maybe I can just, maybe I can just, oh, it's not that big a deal. Maybe, maybe if I just, we go back to that old behavior, that old thought life, that old value, that old habit, whatever it is. What, what, what about this? What if you quit your job and you, you break it off and it was unhealthy, it was toxic, it was bad, whatever it was, and you walk away, and you're like, okay, I'm done. The next morning you wake up, and the sun is a little brighter, and the the flowers smell a little sweeter, and the the birds are singing, and their song sounds a little better, and then your phone rings, and it's your old boss. He's like, hey, why aren't you in here? You were supposed to be in here 20 minutes ago. Where are you? Do you not remember the conversation we had yesterday? Like, I'm done. I'm never coming back. I quit work and I'm finished. You are dead to me and I am dead to you. We have no relationship any longer. And this is what Paul is saying our relationship should be to sin. That, That we say sin has no power and dominion in my life any longer. I am breaking up with sin. I'm quitting sin. I'm done with that behavior. I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm done with that habit. I'm done with that. I'm never going back to it because I'm not a slave to sin. I am dead to sin and sin is dead to me. I'm never going back to it. It's not gonna happen. But it's so easy for us to fall into old habits and routines until we make a decision and say, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I am dead to sin and sin is dead to me. It has no place in my life because it is dead to me. And I am dead to it. I'm never going back to it because I am dead to it as well. I'm walking away. That's it. And that's the decision we have to make. Because so many times we will trick ourselves into saying things like, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, nobody's gonna know. But it does hurt people, even if they don't know. Because sin will impact us, and ultimately, it'll impact the the people we love. It's not gonna stay secret. It's not gonna stay hidden. It won't. So why would we allow ourselves to live that way? Let's push back. Let's tell the enemy, I am dead to you, and you are dead to me. Let's walk away. Verse eight says this, and since we died with Christ We know we'll also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. He's alive. He has life. But let's take this a step further. He lives in you. He lives in me. In a couple of weeks, we'll we'll spend some time on this passage. But in Romans chapter eight, verse 11, it says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if that power lives in us, then God is empowering us with the life of Christ to walk away from sin that is dead to us. So can we do it on our own? Can we white knuckle it and just try harder? And No, maybe, maybe for a while you will, but no, you can't sustain that. The only way you can sustain that is by letting Christ come alive in you. That that life will marginalize that sin. It'll push it out. There's no room for both to be alive in you. Verse 11 says this. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We're dead to sin and alive to God. How? Through Christ Jesus. This is how we do it. And again, you might say, well, Mel, my sin's not that big a deal. It's not a problem. I've got it under control. Nobody knows. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if people know. If you're not walking with Christ, it's making a difference. One act of disobedience can impact others, will impact others. One act of obedience will impact others. You're not sure that's true? Let me go back to what we read earlier, Romans chapter five, verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God, Adam, many became sinners Because one person obeyed God, Jesus, many will be made righteous. You have a decision to make today. You have a decision to be obedient or disobedient to God. Am I gonna be obedient to God and pursue life and pursue him and allow Christ to live in me and put death, uh, put sin to death in my life, say I am dead to sin, sin is dead to me through the power of Christ. Or will you keep acting like everything's fine? Oh, everything's good. I don't have any problems. My life is perfect while we're secretly nurturing our private sin that nobody knows about and we hope nobody knows about. Our habits, our addictions, our whatever it is that we are keeping silent, we're keeping quiet, but here's the thing. You're leaving a legacy for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids. See, one of the reasons... I wanna be a godly man, is not because I pastor this church. I love you and I love this church, but there's a greater weight on me that says, if I live the life that I feel like God has called me to live out, my kids are gonna reap the benefit of that. And their kids are gonna reap the benefit of that. And their kids are gonna reap the benefit of that. There will be kids that are impacted. There are gonna be lives that are impacted by my decision to say, sin is dead to me and I am dead to sin that won't even know my name, but they'll know my legacy. They're not gonna have any idea who Mel Massingill was. They're not gonna remember me, but they're gonna know that there was an impact made in their life because they're walking with Jesus because their parents were walking with Jesus because their parents were walking with Jesus because their parents were walking with Jesus. But the same is true on the other side too. Negative cycles start. So my challenge to you today is stop it right now. Let it end with you. Maybe you were raised in an ungodly home. Maybe you were raised in a home that they didn't value Jesus. They didn't talk about the life of Christ. Let that stop with you. Be the one who breaks the generational cycle in your family and say, sin is dead to me. I am dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ Jesus. I'm turning over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of our time together. They're gonna give you a chance to respond, but I love you guys more than you know and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So this weekend, really talking about a choice to make. What will we choose? Will we choose to continue to act like everything's fine? I'm under control and I got it. No, everything's good. Will we admit, will we admit, I've, I've got a problem. I, I've got a big problem. I've got sin that I'm dealing with. And there's no shame in that. We all deal with sin. But you have to come to a point where you recognize, hey, I've got major sin issues in my life, but the good news is God's got major grace for you. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. No matter how far you've run, you can run outrun God. He's tracking you down. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've been dealing with what scripture calls uh, sin that entangles. Maybe you're really trying, but you got hung up in some stuff that just is dragging you down. You really do want to serve God. You really do want to know Christ. I believe today's the day that that sin is going going to be cut off your life. You're going to be set free from that. You're going to walk away from it. And it's not just a force of will. It's not just us saying, this is it. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna think that anymore. I'm not gonna value that anymore. That's part of it. But part of it is saying, Jesus, I trust you to take control. I trust you to to live life through me. And when we do that, he will. But we can't keep going back to it. Will you choose life today? Will you choose the path that Christ has for you today? There's abundance in that. There's true life found in that. Let's pray together. Lord, I can't believe you would love people like us, like me. I'm continually shocked by your goodness, God, by your grace, by your mercy. We don't deserve it. We have not earned your favor, but God, I'm grateful that you have seen fit to make a way for us to be friends. God, we don't just get to serve you, we get to know you and you wanna know us. So God, thank you for the, the benefits we have of following you that are so much bigger than just going to heaven. God, I pray today, those of us here in this room, those of us watching online, we would choose life today. We would say yes to you. We would say no to the enemy and no to our flesh and no to sin, we would walk away from that just like the burning building, the slow motion scene in a movie. God, I pray that that's what what would happen in this room, that we would walk away from our fleshly nature and desire today, that we would allow Christ to come alive in us. So God, have your way. I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let them see today that there's no condemnation. There's no shame today in those that say yes to you, those that... Repent and turn away from the path they're on. Let today be the day of salvation for many. As we surrender our lives to you, as we hold nothing back from you. So God, breathe life into dead bodies. Create something where there was nothing before. God, we believe you. Now with nobody looking around with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, But I want to, I know I'm not in a relationship with him, but I want to surrender it all to him. I recognize today I need a savior. I recognize that I've been doing my own thing, living my own life, living according to my flesh, and I can't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. So from this point on, sin is dead to me and I am dead to sin. I'm walking away from that life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. And if you want to be included in that prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You say, Mel, that's me. Yeah, a couple of hands on my right. Thank you, yeah, another hand. Thank you, sir. Who else would say, that's me? Yeah, thank you, ma'am, on my left, I see you. Who else would say, Mel, pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? All right. The word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna say a prayer together. I wanna invite all of you to say this prayer out loud with me. And I want you to pray it from your heart. Don't just say words. Pray it from your heart. You pray this prayer. I'm gonna give you the words to pray, but you mean it from your heart. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use me, for your glory. Thank you that I can be your friend and that you want to be my friend. And from this day forward, I'm yours in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's give God a round of applause today. We serve an incredibly great God. And scripture says there's a party going on in heaven because of people who have come to faith or come back to faith. So thank you for the decision you made. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, I promise. Uh, if you pray that prayer today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, your new creation, we'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you meet somebody for the first time, you, you don't just go, okay, nice to meet you and then walk away. If you wanna get to know them in relationship, you go, hey, give me your number, maybe we get together sometime. And this is what this is. This is an introduction to Jesus today. And what we wanna do is help you get to know him better, develop a relationship with him over time. And so, the simplest thing for you to do would be to let us know that you made that decision today. You rededicated your life to Christ or maybe you came to faith for the first time. The simplest thing to do is to text Summit PA to 94000. Let us know about that decision. We're gonna respond back to you. And at that point, if you would select the prompt that says salvation, we're gonna get some information in the mail to you. We're gonna help you take the next step and begin to walk with Christ. If you're here in the room and you'd prefer, you can simply um, stop by your info center, take that card in the seat back in front of you, stop by there, fill it out, and they're gonna give you a new Bible. They're gonna help you take the next step. They're gonna point you in the right direction. Somebody from our team in the next couple days is gonna reach out to you so that you can begin to walk with Christ. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in one final song and we're gonna worship together. We're gonna sing together. And while we're doing that, our team's gonna be down here at the front of this room and they're here to pray with you no matter what your need is. So if you come in here with any kind of need today, I would love for our team to pray with you about that before you go. So please feel free during this final song or even as we're dismissed to come find one of our prayer team and let them agree with you in your need before you leave today. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we finish our day up. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. I hope you have an awesome Memorial Day weekend. God bless you.